Thanks. Yeah. So, so what are the first 40 parameters? The first, the, the parameters thing is the idea that you're collecting all kinds of information from the user's browser that helps identify the user. And their 41st parameter was like this special unknown parameter reaching to the next, you know, essential thing that will help identify people. It's for, you know, uh, identity online. So, yeah, not very exciting. And now we're part of Experian, which is this huge group. So, I, I just want to get to know a little bit about your interests. Um, what, what is your interest in API documentation specifically? Are you, is anybody here doing API documentation right now? Richard, okay, anybody else? Are you the one who emailed me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're going to have to update one. And, and uh, I think you emailed me a little bit about it. I mean, I've been with this company 10 years, but I've managed to avoid having some APIs. <clears throat> uh, anybody else? You have plans to do API docs? I've got API stuff, but I'm not doing enough. Yeah, we were talking. We rode up with Lori and Dan. Okay. Cheryl, you raised your hand. It's on the list of things to do. Yeah. Not sure when. Okay. And I would Same. like to get into it. Okay. I would well, like to get into it. Great, great. I would too. <laughs> <laughs> Raise your hand if you're not. <laughs> and there are half yeah? a dozen programmers at this stage. Oh, really? How many, how, who here's a former programmer? Oh. Wait, that was only three. Well, I'm four. By the way, this, uh, in case you're wondering, I don't have thumb tendonitis or anything. It's, uh, I slashed a tendon and I have to wear this. So anyway, I um, <laughs> just want to get that out of the way so you're not like playing guessing games in your mind. With API documentation, there was a survey that was, oh, whoops, I forgot to put something in here. There was a survey that was done by uh, a group called Programmable Web. And they, they, asked tech, they asked developers what the most important factor was in, API document, in APIs, not API documentation, in APIs. And they rated them one to four. You know, service availability, uptime, uh, active developer community. And what is, what is it that's right at the top? Documentation. Yeah, documentation. Right there, complete and accurate documentation. So this is, I mean, there are a lot of different factors here. Um, and there are over 250 respondents to this survey. Uh, and documentation is at the very top. I mean, that's kind of really interesting. More important than whether it works or not? I guess so. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, if, the, if it doesn't even do what you're trying to do, I don't even see how you could, you know, still rank it. But. But yeah, documentation is up there. Now, the, the guy who runs Programmable Web is a guy named John Mooser, and he's given presentations to developers about why people hate your API. And he confirms the number one reason, your documentation sucks. <laughs> so it's not just a standalone survey. He's really, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, thought about this, which is interesting because this presents a great opportunity for technical writers, right? We're experts at documentation. We know APIs are really hot. This is their number one problem. We should be their number one solution. 
but it doesn't quite fit together so easily like that. Um, the API doc world, when you enter it, it begins to be a totally different landscape. It's like Mars, right? Things are different. The tools are different. The audience is different. And you don't have just regular users. You've suddenly got developers. Um, the sort of material is different. You have maybe a list of classes or some kind of endpoints that you have to work with. Um, and the way that uh, they publish and how you review content. Maybe you get it from a, a revision control repository. You know, all of it is very different from GUI documentation. And um, when I started to learn a little bit about API documentation, um, <clears throat> I started to realize that there's this tremendous gap. Actually, I had been working in, in GUI documentation in Utah for five years. And I always thought I wanted to move into a more technical direction rather than trying to go into management or something. Um, but at one time, our company laid everybody, laid all the tech writers off. And I was like, man, uh, I don't want this to ever happen again. So I got to thinking more seriously about, you know, what is a solid, stable career choice? And API documentation is kind of where I started to go. Uh, because there are tons of jobs right now of, about, uh, that involve this skill set. Um, but it's not necessarily easy to just to just fill. Here's an example uh, from <laughs> this is one of Andrew's postings. I think it says the client wants to find someone who will emulate the Dropbox's developer documentation. So there's lots of startups, and now that we have this web landscape with really good-looking, sexy documentation sites, this, the standards higher. You know, if you just give somebody a RoboHelp output compared to something like Dropbox's cool looking site, people may, may look at that and say, hmm, you know, I was expecting something a little more. Um, so, so there's a tremendous need for companies to publish. And a lot of these startups have no clue how to do documentation. They know that they want it to look like X company's documentation. Um, and so now, now as a technical writer, you come in and you suddenly have to solve publishing needs as well. You know, maybe before you were just in charge of content, somebody else had a giant uh, publishing engine, you'd plugged into it, but now if you're with a smaller company, the develop, you may be the only tech writer there, um, <clears throat> or a small team, you've got to handle publishing of content in a cool way, in addition to the complex material. One reason why there's such an emphasis on the output and the display of API docs, especially in the public sphere, is because the API docs are the interface. There is no GUI that, you, that users are navigating, right? They go in and they want to find out about the API. Your information product is the product that they interact with, at least um, to learn about it, to, to, to figure out what to do. Um, <clears throat> so uh, a while ago, I, I um, got asked to guest edit uh, an edition of the, the intercom, the STC intercom. And somebody thought that trends would be a good fit. And I was like, man, I always get pigeonholed into that sort of topic. And I said, well, the real trend, the real trend is API documentation. You should focus an entire issue on this. And so we did. And I, I put out a call. I said, who wants to write about this topic? And there were tons of people. Um, we, had, we had like five or six articles in the magazine and then another five articles just online. And this issue uh, was so well received that it actually one some kind of best get it, guest edited issue for the year. Uh, and it's totally free. This is a great part because um, the powers that be at the STC decided to put it in Dropbox. And so you can go to that bit.ly URL, 
and read the articles. Now they're introductory, they're not gonna get in super depth, but it's a good start and it points to this dearth of information in the tech comm world about this critical topic. Honestly, there's not a lot of good information about API documentation in the tech comm sphere. Um, it's, it's really more of a space that's dominated by developers and there are other conferences like Write the Docs. Raise your hand if you've heard of Write the Docs. Uh, four, three, okay. So uh, Write the Docs is a community of people. Um, there's actually a Write the Docs meetup group in San Francisco. So they're like the STC, but they uh, focus more on developer documentation, a lot of them. Um, a lot of them aren't necessarily technical writers by title. They're just people who help out with the documentation. So they actually call themselves documentarians, if you can, you know, handle that word it's not my favorite uh, but but as a documentarian they get together and they talk about best practices for publishing and a lot of it just overlaps with stuff that you would hear in the STC uh, at the same time I feel like they recognize a gap in terms of um, some of the core focuses uh, the, and challenges that they face all right a little bit about me so I, I I'm not like an API documentation veteran. I've only been in this space two and a half years or so. I'm still learning a lot, but it's, it's one of the most interesting spaces. Um, you know, if, if, if you've been in tech comm for 10 years, you kind of uh, run out of things to learn almost. Um, you know, I hate to say that, that sounds terrible, but, but you reach a point where not a whole lot is new. Uh, when you hit the API world, you suddenly enter programming and, and there's so much to learn um, that it's an entirely new landscape and it's, it's a lot of fun actually. I mean, if you, if you like learning um, and you can, can scale it to fit your life, uh, this, this direction provides an infinite kind of depth that you can, can probe. All right, any questions before we keep going? Anything? So now we're going to jump into more of the details. Um, I will say that there's not a lot of books on API at all. They're fairly poor and they're fairly old. And the ones, books that are most, most relevant are in REST because it seems like REST is what's really happening. In the yeah. World. If you're talking about API, I don't want to steal your thunder. No, so definitely. So now, but REST, and there are some books on REST. Um, but a lot of the. In terms of API, and you know even fewer books on the, the documentation side of the API world right I mean it's one thing to learn about design of APIs and so forth but for the doc, doc team uh, there's even more of a dearth so what is an API API stands for application programming interface and really um, an API is just an interface between two systems a metaphor of a cog. Now, lots of different types of APIs. There are plat I'm going to talk about two tonight. Platform APIs or native APIs and REST APIs. Um, as Dan said, REST APIs are super popular. I'm going I'm to focus more on that. But in order to get there, there's kind of a his historical trend through platform APIs that I want to go through. There's another term you may have heard called SDK. So that stands for Software Development Kit. Uh, an API is usually a list of endpoints, methods, classes. An SDK is tooling that supports an API. 
So when I worked at Badgeville, uh, which is a gamification company, we had an API, a REST API, where people could <clears throat> get information about how many points a user had, get information about what uh, rewards a person had earned. But in order to really implement it, uh, we had a, a JavaScript SDK that allowed, allowed developers to basically take the responses from the API and easily package them into JavaScript calls and use them on a web page. So um, that's just what SDK is, and a lot of them differ, but there's some kind of tooling that helps support these, these APIs. There are also at least two core deliverables with any API documentation set. One is your reference material, the list of the endpoints or classes. And it's a very technical, what are the parameters, what are the responses? But then there's a whole other group of material called the user guides or programmer guides. And this is how you actually use the API. So if you're a tech writer in an API shop, the developers may think they're gonna handle the reference and that's how maybe it often works, uh, as poorly as it may come across. But the, the tech writer will have to explain how you use all these endpoints in order to reach some business goal that, it, that a user has. And that can be very difficult. Okay, so here's the outline for tonight. I'm gonna to talk about platform APIs and then REST APIs. We're gonna get into some results from an API documentation survey and uh, talk about some trends in terms of how people publish and then some big questions to consider. Um, all right, and uh, yeah, I'm recording this and I'll put this online and, and so forth. All right, so let's get into platform APIs. Um, with Java, if you are working on a Java API, you don't write the reference material in some separate output. You actually jump right into the code. This is a sample, sample doc comment, a doc block or something. I don't they have different names. Um, that appears right in the code. And you can see there are a couple of asterisks right here with a slash. This signifies a, an official doc block code. And there's, there are very specific attributes, param, throws. Um, all of the, there, there's probably uh, 10 of these different kind of attributes. And you put those right in the code with, along with the developer's code. It goes right before like the class. And then a, a tool called javadoc will go and parse through all these source files, look for those specific little tags and other, other information and package it up into something that looks like this. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a help system, like a help authoring tool in a way where you have a little website in a box that's suddenly published um, from, from some core files. And this is a, this is a javadoc output. <clears throat> and all of those comments get packaged in here in a, in a format that's predictable for Java developers. If you're a Java developer, this is the most common Javadoc or common output format that you will you will see. Have you ever seen a Javadoc file? Um, okay. There's another one for C++ called Doxygen, and each programming language actually has its own output format. Although Doxygen can handle several different kinds of programming languages, but Doxygen um, works in a very similar way. You have these doc block comments, very specific names of attributes and it goes through and parses them and gives an output <clears throat> that looks like this. This output is a little more skinnable uh, and you can add additional external files. 
But by and large, um, these, these output formats are self-contained outputs. Richard? So you might add here that it's not just those, that little block of java.comments or whatever the Doxygen equivalent is, but um, the, the tool that the java.com goes through and actually reads the code too and, and builds a, a structure that tells you which classes are subclasses of which classes and, yeah. and so forth. And whether you've got a comment or not, uh, the the tool will tell you what the uh, arguments of each method are and so forth. Yeah, It'll good, tell you good the point. <clears throat> yeah, so there's there's a, a logic checking uh, function or some kind of um, analyzer that yeah looks to see what are the arguments and if 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 you don't have a description of an argument, it'll still put it in there. It just won't have a description. So it goes through and if you have something that's not listed, it will it will give you errors and so forth. It's very highly detailed in terms of how you should do it. And if you want to learn more about Javadoc, Oracle's got all kinds of guidelines about how to do it. Um, if you want to see just a survey of lots of different <coughs> document generators, um, you know what, I want my water down there. Can somebody hand that to me? <laughs> um, if you want to see a survey of lots of different document generators, go to this drop, thanks, Dropbox site. And if you click on them, each one of these has a different output format, format, Python, Ruby, PHP. They've all got different generators that, that look a different way. So that's kind of the world of, of this, this uh, platform doc. Now, who writes these things? It all depends where you're at. But a lot of times, engineers will write some kind of initial draft. After all, they created the class or they created the method. Uh, tech writers will usually edit this, and if you want to plug into this workflow, you have to download all their source files. So you have to learn some kind of revision control system like Git or Mercurial, and you usually create a separate branch that you work in to publish your edits, and then eventually that branch gets merged into the main source. So getting into this workflow is probably not that easy. But the more comfortable you are, the more people would trust you and the more you could work on it. There are definite pros of this kind of approach to documentation. One is that you prevent something called documentation drift. The idea is that <clears throat> by having the comments and the help right in there with um, the code, you know, it's, it's, you're not going to get to the point where the, the documentation doesn't describe half the stuff that's in the code. <laughs> Richard says, don't bet on it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you have to do it by hand, it will drift, even yeah. if it's right next to it. Uh, and there's some other positives, right? Engineers, they don't want to work in some other system. This allows them to write, write in the same environment they're coding. You know, it's, they built these tools, right? This, this fits their, their form factor. Um, but there's some problems with platform doc. One is that it gives you sort of an illusion of having doc. So this is a quote by ja Jacob Kaplan Moss. He says, auto-generated documentation is worse than useless. It lets, it lets maintainers fool themselves into thinking they have documentation, thus putting off actual writing good reference by hand. If you don't have documentation, just admit it. Uh, maybe a volunteer will offer to write some, but I don't lie and give... Ah, sorry, and give me that, don't lie and give me that auto-documentation crap. Okay, so he's very opinionated, but he's apparently a big name in his space. Um, and he's basically saying that you, you, developers have this reference doc, 
and they give it to a user and they say, oh, here it is, and it looks like documentation. But um, it can be sort of false if you don't also have a user guide that tells people how to actually use all these different endpoints. So it's kind of, it's not, the reference docs don't tell the whole story. Another problem is, is all this stuff doesn't integrate into the rest of your material. Um, it's self-contained. So you want to try to integrate it with a user tutorial, you can't really link between the two. Yes? I heard yesterday that there's something called Swagger. Yeah. We'll get to that. That's in a, more of the REST API yeah, stuff. That's for REST. Okay. Yeah, we'll get into that though. It's on it's on the roadmap here. Okay. <clears throat> um, finally, there's uh, the problem of the curse of knowledge. Right? You have engineers writing; they don't understand that the whole world is not um, full of developers who immediately understand what they've coded. You know, most developers think people around them are idiots, and uh, any competent that's developer cool. will understand. Right? No, no. It's, it's good if you think they're idiots. If you think that they're going to understand, then you're screwed. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. I, I guess they think that people are idiots if they don't already understand. People should understand if they're working with our product. Otherwise, they're not smart enough to really, you know, be worth worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I've heard that from so many people. It's just crazy, uh, and and that comes through when people describe things in in their reference doc. There's some other pros and cons with platform APIs. One is it doesn't, they don't scale. If you have a Java API, well, guess what? The whole world doesn't use Java. There's like 10 other languages that they could use. So if you want to try to have a marketable product, you're going to have to have a, a .NET version, a C++ version, and Python version. Pretty soon, you don't have that much bandwidth, right? <clears throat> this is happening at my company. We've got these three core languages, uh, Java, .NET, and C++. And now we're moving towards a REST API because A, it's a lot easier to maintain. Another, another problem is uh, upgrades. You get people to integrate this stuff and then they need to upgrade it. Well, they're going to have to re-download all this code, <coughs> recompile all their projects, run it through all their own QA and redeploy it. And that is just slow, right? So we have tons of people on old versions. We can't get them off. One person was on like this version we didn't even have anymore. Um, so. <clears throat> there's there's that but some pros is they perform faster and they're more secure any questions about platform APIs before we jump into rest APIs I, I, I think yeah the point you were just making about not scaling or whatever uh, is that you need to decouple and that's where, where the rest thing is, does it for you if you just have an HTT based uh, API, and then behind it you can have a Java implementation or a .NET yep. implementation or any other implementation, but the API doesn't change, so you don't have to document 10 APIs, you just document one. Yeah, no, this, that's a great, perfect segue. So let's jump into REST APIs. As Richard is explaining, the REST API can have any code on the back end. It can be written in Java, it can be written in C++. The user doesn't care. REST APIs work almost just like the web works. You put a request into your whoops. You put a request into your browser, um, and you get back a response. Right? You don't care what uh, the website is running. Right? If you go to my blog, I'd rather be writing.com. You don't care if it's on WordPress or if it's on Jekyll or if it's on Blogger. You get back a response. The same way with REST APIs. You you submit a request. Could be a Java, C++. You get back a response. Did you have your hand up? Yep. Um, you might want to tell people what REST. Oh, okay. 
<clears throat> All right, so yeah, we're getting, hold on, let me, uh, I guess uh, REST stands for Representational State Transfer. And uh, it was modeled by a PhD guy, I can't remember his name. Fielding. Fielding, thank Richard Fielding, I think. Um, <clears throat> uh, Doug. Doug. Something Fielding. <laughs> uh, it's nice to have somebody who's, you know, got a good command of all kinds of information. Um, but it's really modeled after the way the web works. Um, basically, sort of the statelessness of it is that when you when you call something, it doesn't really change it usually. It, you're going get, to get back the same response every time, um, unless you do some other methods to your call. But look at the growth of web APIs or, or REST APIs. They're often called web APIs because they, they work very similar to the web. Um, <clears throat> but they've, they've increased dramatically uh, for the last like five years. And I don't really know how this was measured. People have asked me questions. This is from Programmable Web. Um, they were like, well, what happened before June of 2005? I don't really know. But there's clearly an upward trend. Anybody who's really doing APIs now is doing REST APIs. Uh, there's some older type of APIs. Uh, you, have, you run into to SOAP APIs that return XML and so forth. But these are sort of older. Um, right now, REST is most common. And the platform stuff that I was going over is kind of fading as well, right? It's not nearly as common. So here's some basics about REST APIs. You have some kind of endpoint uh, that you can pass it in the browser or some work from server to server. They communicate uh, that way. <clears throat> and you get a response back. Uh, so this is a Flickr. Flickr has an API, of course. This is an endpoint. And this is a response you get. So um, this is called the, the request. Uh, and these other things. Here are parameters. So here's a closer view. The stuff in red are specific parameters that I've passed into this endpoint that determine what's, what's getting back. So most things have an API key, right? Because they don't want to have somebody uh, hit their server with a million hits. They want to be able to turn it off and so forth and authorize people. <clears throat> but you can specify other things like I want JSON as the format. Uh, I want one page of responses, and I didn't really put many other parameters here, but um, documenting these parameters is a core function of what a technical writer does. You know, what, what is the data type for the parameters? What are some allowed parameters? How many, uh, how many responses per second? And that kind of thing. And we'll get into some more examples in a minute. <clears throat> Curl is uh, often used to make calls to these endpoints. Uh, you can use this from your terminal, from your command line. And <clears throat> what's good about curl is that you can apply different methods to the, to the endpoints. Usually, you're just getting a resource. But you can also change the resource. You can delete it. It depends on what the API was coded uh, to allow you to do. <clears throat> but they, they've got a, a series of calls called get, post, put, delete, and others. And you, you put, you, when you make your call using curl, you put certain um, uh, code to specify the method of that you're applying to the call. So anyway, just be aware of that. So here's the basic workflow. You have an endpoint request that goes out to some API. You get a resource back. And then the user, uh, the, the, the code, usually takes that response. It's usually in JSON, which I'll explain in a minute. It's just key value pairs. Um, and using something like JavaScript, they take and display it uh, onto their HTML web page. 
So when I worked at Badgeville, this is kind of what our endpoints looked like. Um, <clears throat> remember, this is gamification. So in order to get a list of all the users, you would, you would put something like your API site, your key, and then slash users, and you'd get back all users, right? You would only get back like the first 50 unless you put in some special parameters. And if you add another path like users slash user ID, you get back a specific user. Uh, if you do rewards, you get back all rewards, but if you add like rewards and the users, you get back all the rewards for a particular user. So APIs try to follow a predictable logic so that the developers don't have to always try to play guessing games with what is coming back. And a well-designed API should be predictable um, and follow this pattern. They don't always, and that's where the tech writers come in, right? Because documentation can fix any usability issue. <laughs> 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 um, okay, so... Well, the, the thing is linear, right? So I mean, if you have three different combinations, you don't really know if one's ahead of the other or the other's ahead of... You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the order matters, users slash rewards. But, but we had all kinds of gotchas, like what happens if a user doesn't have any rewards? What comes back then? Or how do you get to the second page of rewards? You know, yeah, sure, maybe you've, you've got some link in the documentation, but how does a user like navigate through that in their code? So there's all kinds of like complexity when you actually try to, try to use it. But by and large, in, in your reference documentation, in your documentation, you often don't have to explain how to, how to use the code for a specific purpose. You just explain what comes back. And then the person has to figure out how they're going to take the information and use it in some, toward some end. So in a genuine REST API, uh, what you got back would tell you how you got to the next 50. Yeah, yeah, yep. But, because but, you don't maintain state on the server, you maintain the state in the, in the so, so let's say you get back the first 50, and here's a link to the next 50, right, in there, like, I don't know, some, some kind of paging. Well, what I'm saying is if a person wants to try to implement code that automatically goes to the next page, you usually don't have to explain that. You assume that the person is a competent JavaScript developer. But... See, we ran into this problem where we assumed too many things. And so we, we started to, the developers decided to create JavaScript widgets that would just plug in and do all this stuff. And people throw some code on there and it would look beautiful and so forth. Um, all right, the responses that you usually get back are either in JSON or XML. And all, all of, this is an example of JSON. All this is are key value pairs. So on the left you have the key, on the right you have the value. and Responses look a little more complicated because a lot of times you have um, objects. You have you have a, a key that then has its own key and values, and those are called arrays. And so, what people have to do when they get back all this information is somehow cycle through it and find what they're looking for, and and use it in some way. Um, when I was working at Badgeville, because all of this was handled through browser to browser communication, uh, there was something called the Developer Console. That you've, if you've ever opened, is incredibly useful because you can log all of this information to your console and you can see what it looks like. And we'll do an example in a minute. Um, I, think, I think there is Wi-Fi here, right? Sort of? I thought I saw a signal. So definitely get familiar with this. Um, and you can actually see uh, these different methods. I touched upon these earlier. Um, if you look in the console, 
you can see what method is applied to each of the resources when you get a bunch of stuff from a website. So this is um, uh, an example I'll show in a minute, but basically this is the method used to capture all of these resources. All right, so let's do an example. Eventbrite is a great event management system and they have an API which you can use. Um, so let's say you wanted to get event information from Eventbrite and display it onto your site. Well, you could use the event details endpoint from their API. And when you read through the documentation, this is kind of what it distills down to. Oh man, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know, because it looks fine. Uh, maybe I screwed something up. Uh, I've got an example here in a minute, or anyway. Um, <clears throat> so, you're seeing that, okay. So yeah, it just didn't like my formatting. Um, but uh, let me see if I can connect to this Mimi's Cafe. I should have done this earlier, I just didn't think of it. Cafe Wi-Fi. Yes, And if I still, yeah, okay, I was playing with this a little earlier. Um, <clears throat> here's an example of, come on. To make you log in? Hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Um. All right. Well, for some reason, when I display this uh, slide, it doesn't like it. So I'll just talk through it. Basically, you have an endpoint. I know this is small. And then you populate. You insert the right values into it. So you put in an event ID. In this case, we want to. We had an API workshop with Ceramatics a while ago. So it had an event ID. You add in your special API token and you pass all of this into your browser URL and then you get a response that looks like, like this. Now Eventbrite actually has their own little, own little formatting they, they add to responses. But let's see if this is working yet. It says I'm connected to Cafe <laughs> hmm. Okay, well, may not work. Who knows what kind of security policies are on this computer with ports yeah. maybe restricted. Um, if you want to play around with this, though, you should. Uh, I've got, I've got quite a few samples um, on my site, so I'll point you to those in a minute. But uh, let me just go back into this view. Um, come on, computer. There we go. So this is what you would see essentially: is this information pulled from Eventbrite. Uh, and written to the page. So here's actually the, the response that you're getting and you can expand things here and you can see the title, you can see the event description, but then all this content here, I've just, there's some simple code that says get all the stuff from this response and display these, these certain values. There's something called dot notation that you should be familiar with. This is how you access the different parts of the response. So um, if you just want the name and the text, or sorry, you just want the, the name here and maybe something else, you would do whatever, okay, data refers to maybe the object that you, you called and uh, called it this and assigned it, but then dot name gets the name and then dot text gets like the sub item under name. 
So that dot notation is extremely common in how you figure out what you want because the endpoint's gonna have a lot of information and you just wanna be able to get the pieces that you want. And a good API is not gonna give you so much information that it's gonna be heavy and, and slow to download. Um, okay, I actually had an activity uh, that I was gonna do where you, where you, where you uh, go to this, but since the Wi-Fi doesn't seem to be working and I don't see anybody really with computers, we won't do it. But basically, um, okay, yeah, see if you can go kick the router or something. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so, so you can do this. I've got a bunch of samples on my site where you could, where you could actually see, oh, you're going to actually troubleshoot? Yeah. Don't, don't worry about it. I, I, I think, um, I mean, I had the Wi-Fi, I had the right uh, network selected, so if it's not working, uh, I think it's unsolvable. I'd rather be talking. Yeah, then people get the point. Okay, so any questions about endpoints? I have one more example that I'll, that I'll show you. Okay, so usually there's a, there's a specific list of things that you need to document when it comes to REST APIs. Um, almost, you, you follow a very specific pattern. In a sense, you're doing structured documentation because you have a structure that you're applying to every one of the endpoints. And these, these sort of common sections that you have to document are, what's the endpoint? What does it do, briefly? Uh, what are the parameters that you can pass to it? What are the methods that you can use? Like, can you just get it or can you actually edit things or delete? Usually they don't let you delete things because obviously it could lead to all kinds of bad uh, missing data. So endpoint is <coughs> jargon for uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I hear endpoint more than anything else. But yeah, it's a resource on a server. And it's documented <coughs> functions. I mean, this is the same thing as when you write mm -hmm. code, you document functions. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you're doing, you're just documenting. Exactly, functions. exactly. And this is, this is you're in the developer's domain here, right? It, people want to know what a successful response looks like and an error response uh, looks like. And then they want usually want to see a sample call. So if you hit all of these sections, your documentation is going to be uh, at least satisfactory and usually at least at least the reference part will cover all the bases. So let's do one more example. Let's say Flickr, you're using the Flickr and you want to get a get a gallery photo. Who, kn who knows what a Flickr gallery is? What do you think it is? What? I had one. It was a group. A group? Of your own photos or of photos across Flickr that fit a theme? And how does it differ from an album? <laughs> I'm only asking that because this isn't really clarified in the reference documentation. It just is like get gallery photos. It returns a list of photos for a gallery. It, there's a lot of shortcomings in the reference docs or a lot of stuff that's not explained. You need the user guides that really get into detail. And this is even a, a worse offender. Um, so let's say I. A gallery is like a themed collection across Flickr of photos. And let's say I want to get some and, and show them on my site. Well, oh no, this slide displays fine. The endpoint looks like this, flickr.galleries.getphotos. Here's a sample call with all the other stuff, the, uh, the base path and your key and your parameters inserted. And here's a sample response. And if you go to this page, <coughs> it will look like this. These, this is the gallery of photos that I have chosen. All right, so you've got lots of cute little animals, but what you don't see in the documentation is how you get the image source URLs to plug into your HTML for all these cool photos. And 
it's not in the it's not in it it, it blows my mind it's not in the uh, actual reference part you have to you get back four different components farm farm id server id id and secret i guess that's five and you have to piece them together in a certain way uh, in order to form a valid image source URL. So, and you, you don't, you, you have to like look in the user guide to get that information. So the reference material is usually really concise because developers just want the facts, really basic. Um, but the user guide is where you learn the heart of how to use the system. The theory of operation. Sure. <laughs> That's what they used to call these things. Okay. If you want more details, check out this post. Bitly, a bit.ly slash REST API examples. I've got a few from other, other APIs as well. I'll walk you through it, how you, how you do that kind of stuff. These are all web APIs. Um, there's also a great resource to check out, documenting REST APIs uh, at this URL, uh, bit.ly slash doc REST APIs. This is by somebody in Portland, as part of the Write the Docs, that goes really deep into REST APIs. Excellent, excellent material. And I'll put these on my blog with slide notes, recording, all kinds of fun stuff. Any questions? Now we're going to get into more conceptual stuff. We've covered a lot of the technical details. <clears throat> I mean, we're scratching the surface with APIs, but hey, this is a one-hour presentation, right? Uh, I did a survey on my blog not too long ago about API documentation practices because I wanted to know if I was sort of... Uh, uh, unique in some ways that I had been working or if it, this was how it was across all API shops. And having only been at two companies where I was doing API documentation, I couldn't really generalize, you know? So as a presenter, I was like, well, I don't have enough experience to say, you know, for my last seven companies, this is the trend. So uh, I asked a lot of people uh, on my blog and this great resource group at, at LinkedIn called the API documentation group, um, some common questions like, what types of APIs do you document? And this just gives you a survey of things. REST APIs are by far the most common, followed by Java and C++. So if you want to learn a programming language, pick Java and C++. And if you live in Seattle, maybe .NET. Um, but, but, <laughs> but REST is really quite common. And for REST, do you need to know a programming language? Not necessarily, but most uh, tech writers who work with it actually do. Are you automating the REST API docs? And, and this is a question, basically, are you using Swagger uh, or some other tools? And most people aren't. 65% uh, said no. They're, they're doing it manually. Um, so they're not, gener by automating, I mean, are you generating the documentation from code in your source that runs through some parser and packages it up in a cool display? What authoring tools are you using? Most people, they're, they're using uh, a tool that is unique. Uh, I mean, there's no common trends. They're, using it, they're not all using the same tool. A lot of people use Confluence, but my guess is that that's just an internal tool because it's, what else do you use if you reject SharePoint uh, for your projects and so forth? But maybe Most they're... Those aren't authoring <clears throat> tools. Yeah, well... <laughs> With Dita, okay, yeah, but I mean, it's kind of broad. You're using some kind of Dita system, Flare, are using Markdown. I mean, people are all over the board with what they're using. There's no clear trend. Yeah, a lot of people, when they're entering tech writing, they're like, what tools should I use, learn? You know, now I don't even know what to tell people, and, and even less so in API documentation. 
learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript, you'll probably get by. Uh, do you test out all these API calls yourself in the doc? You know, the, some of these simple calls, if you just, if you just have to plug a, an endpoint into a browser with the right API key, are gonna be easy to, to, to test. But if you have a Java API, you're gonna to have to create your own Java app to test some of these calls. And you're gonna to have to you know, figure out how to do that. Much more complicated. Um, so nevertheless, about 55% of people do test their own calls themselves. Some people have quality assurance departments that test things. Well, and by test, I was pretty vague. This wasn't the greatest survey and people let me know. And this is one of those questions. What do you mean by test? I mean, do you just take the engineer's word for it that this is a response? Or do you actually go and say, no, you, you missed a parameter. This doesn't look right. So um, I did that a lot more at Badgeville, less at my current company because it's all like, um, you know, I set it up once for Java, but then the others uh, required all kinds of server platforms as well. It's a lot harder to, to kind of sink into. What IDE do you, do you use? An IDE uh, is an integrated development environment. It's the editor that developers use when they're coding. Uh, most people use Eclipse uh, or none, all right? So maybe they just open a text editor. But um, Visual Studio, IntelliJ IDEA, Xcode, these are common ones. But uh, Eclipse is free. And that's probably why it tops the list there. But the IntelliJ idea is actually a sweet editor. Bucks. Is it 500 bucks? It um, I actually, uh, they've got another product called WebStorm that's less expensive, that's a light editor. It's not really an IDE for programming code. Surveys of, of tech writers? Uh-huh. Because uh, developers probably use VI. Right, yeah. So yeah, this is just tech writers. <clears throat> Uh, this kind of sort of a, an information checking question. I, you know, if people, uh, if they're not using an IDE, I can't imagine they're getting too deep into, into code. I could be wrong. What are the most common programming languages tech writers know that you know? Uh, most people put Java, JavaScript, Python, C++, and C Sharp, and PHP. Now, this, this, these responses actually align with the most common programming languages on the web. If you do the same search, it has these top six uh, there as well. <clears throat> so if you're gonna spend a lot of time learning a programming language, focus on some of these. Um, do developers write the initial API docs in the source code? Um, you know, I wanted to know, are developers usually writing this stuff or not? And 36% said yes, and 32% said no, and the other said sometimes. So. Are you going to walk into a shop and people will be like, hey, I've you know, created a draft copy of all the reference docs. So Maybe part. What? You're right. You're right. Yeah, you're right. It looks different. It's <laughs> sort of one of those auto-generated charts. That, not so great. I didn't do it, do it well. <laughs> Told you it wasn't a fancy survey. <laughs> There's an academic guy who's uh, getting a PhD and he's like, you know, I think if you redo your survey in a different way, you can get much more valid responses that can be more useful. I'm like, you're right, but I'm not going to do it because I'm a practitioner, not an academic. Uh, so do you write the doc by looking into the source code? About 60% say yes. Um, so yeah, if you want to get into this field, you're going to have to get into source code and figure out how to read it. Um, maybe not so much with REST APIs because that stuff is usually 
not as accessible, but definitely what the platform wants. How do you access it? Uh, a lot of people say Git, Perforce, and a lot of people just don't have access to it. So um, usually, usually they give you access to it. Whether they're going to let you commit to it is maybe a totally different question. What's the most difficult part of API docs? Um, <clears throat> understanding the code, getting information from engineers, creating non-reference docs, understanding the audience, and identifying dependencies, so how things interrelate. But definitely understanding the code and interacting with engineers are top challenges. <clears throat> well, that's probably part of the code. I did, I did consolidate responses under general, general ideas. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the, you're really going to have to get friendly with engineers to succeed in this and, and be comfortable asking them questions. And different engineers have different personalities. Some love to explain how smart they are. Uh, others think it's annoying and they don't have time. So finally, how did you learn what you needed to know? Uh, most people learned it from developers or they're self-taught or they learned it online or they were an engineer. Some people actually learned in college. So there's not an overwhelming trend, but a lot of people do talk to developers. Okay. Any questions about the survey? I'm just, you know, painting the picture of the API doc landscape and all the different varieties of, of things. Cheryl. How many uh, There were only about 40. It wasn't huge. You know, I tried. There, there just isn't a ton of API doc writers out there that, that you can just survey and get tons of responses. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So I'm going to jump in. Dan, did you have a question? Comment? On AP, good courses, varying degrees of good courses on learning APIs. Okay. So if you go to Pluralsight, you'll find three courses on it. And good. Two courses on REST on that site. So they essentially have four or five courses on REST and APIs. <clears throat> so varying degrees of quality. Pluralsight is great, great resource. Yeah, if you're an IT person, it's, it's, it's great. It's 3,500 courses, 30 bucks a month. It's a steal. <clears throat> It's all one word, plural site, all one word. And it's, it's a terrific, uh, I mean, uh, for 30, 40 bucks a month, it's a total steal. The, 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 great, the great thing about being a tech writer now is that there are so many resources online. Like, I know this stuff is complicated, but if you want to learn it, you can. I mean, plural site is one of a dozen. Udemy, Audacity, Lynda.com, Safari Books, and, and other sites. You can learn all this code. It's a matter of whether you, you really want to dedicate your life to learning it, or part of your life to learning it. You told me there was a, <coughs> uh, 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 one on Udemy, right? U Udemy, yeah, yeah. I think that's how it's said, U U Udemy. Yeah, by Peter Gruenbaum. Um, he's got, I think it was like 50. But maybe it was more. Usually, if you wait, there'll be tens. So you, know, <laughs> you just have to catch them <clears throat> in the cycle. I understand. All right, let's jump into some publishing trends. Because I, I mentioned that publishing is key. By the way, when am I supposed to end? It's 8.13 right now, and I don't want to go overboard. Go another 20 minutes. Okay. I'll promise I'll end by 8.30. Um, publishing trends. I mentioned that API doc sites can look pretty sexy. And they follow different design trends than maybe we're used to seeing. Um, if you look through, if you go to programmableweb.com, there's a huge directory of thousands of APIs. So you want to get a, a sense of how they do it? View uh, 
10 of them here, and if any of them look similar, uh, you, I will be surprised. Um, they usually are custom-coded websites. <clears throat> so what design patterns or trends do we see? One is branding. Usually, you remember that the docs are trying to sell the product. They kind of are the product. And so you want to brand them to look like your company. So if you go to Yelp, you know it's going to have the same kind of branding. A lot of times in a help authoring tool, what you can do to brand stuff is very limited. So another key trend are navigation tabs that let you toggle between different code samples in other languages. If you go to Twilio, you can see how to do it in PHP versus Java versus others. And uh, <clears throat> it's fancy enough that if you make a selection on one screen, a cookie is set for that language and the others auto-select to that language. So um, yeah, I mean, you've got, there's tons of web tools nowadays. So a lot of these techniques aren't that hard, but it's a different tool set, right? If you're used to working with Dita and publishing using <clears throat> Oxygen XML or something, and suddenly you want to do something like this, navigation tabs that set cookies, you're going to have to figure that out. It's not going to be easy. <clears throat> they often have <clears throat> interactive real-time requests. So um, you're signed in, and it automatically populates a lot of these uh, endpoints with your API key. So you can just hit a Run button and see it right in the interface. You have an API Explorer, as they're often called, right built in. <clears throat> uh, this, is a, this is an example from the documentation site that is heralded as the best example of, of API documentation. Sorry, it's, it's almost laughable that people, people are just so, they fawn over this Stripe API documentation <clears throat> so much. And what they basically do, Stripe does, is they have a side pane <clears throat> that has a bunch of code samples. And when you're logged in, it, it auto-populates them with your API key. Uh, but people really like the side-by-side -side where you've got explanation and code samples and it scrolls, you know, and it all lines up. <clears throat> but Stripe, you'll hear it mentioned everywhere um, as a great example. Uh, I don't think it's that great, which is why I'm kind of like, anyway. Another thing is uh, most of these sites have something called a, a Hello World tutorial. And if you've never heard that phrase, there's even an acronym to describe it. Um, time to Hello World, T-T-H-W. Uh, how long does it take for me to start using your API and actually get some kind of result? Uh, something that appears on the screen that maybe says, hello world. Um, does it take me four hours after I download all the resources and configure everything? Or can I do this in four, four minutes? But you definitely want something like this um, because there's a lot of, a lot of setup. <clears throat> um, there's tons of code samples and you need a good syntax highlighter. So there's actually all kinds of CSS libraries that do syntax highlighting according to a specific language, and you want to get those into your code. And then there's this crazy um, single-page scrolling phenomenon. And let's see if I can uh, simulate what the single-page scroll looks like. This is a little video. So this is where everything appears on one page, uh, and it, the page sort of never ends. It, on the left, you can see that the, the scroll spy, as this is called, changes the focus, but it just kind of has everything on the same page. Uh, some people love this because <clears throat> you no longer have to play pinball in your documentation. You've got everything there. You hit Control F, and sure enough, you can find it. Um, so people like this. This is a, a design pattern. I'm not saying it's a good idea. I'm just saying you'll see that. <clears throat> and then now we get to Swagger. 
Swagger is one way that you can actually automate the publishing of REST API docs. So here you have, um, there's kind of a lot of different tools around Swagger, but one of these tools, you write your, you describe your API in a spec, a Swagger spec, kind of like Dita is a spec. You, know, you have a specific pattern, and then Swagger can parse through all that stuff and render it into something that looks snazzy like this. And all these sections expand down, and you can actually run calls, right, by putting some values in here, and it shows you the response. So play around with it and, and see it. It's kind of hard to change how this looks. Like, you have to really get in there. Uh, <clears throat> but but it's an, a way of automating the REST API output. So who output. builds this <clears throat> Usually, oh, who builds it? There's a, there's a company called Reverb that actually owns the Swagger well, stuff, I mean, but it's open source. If you're designing an API, do you make the Swagger spec first and then That's, uh, write your code? Or the recommended best practice is to design your API with this spec in mind. But you can come in after the fact and try to you know populate it. And then there's also internal Swagger libraries that work with different code bases. It's a, it's a vast project, and I don't pretend to be an expert on it, but, but yeah, it's a design pattern for the API. With a with a, a spec that also renders your documentation. So can you do any kind of testing on the Swagger spec? Um, probably. I mean, if you if you're able to run things right, if you're able to run calls right within the the, the documentation, it should give you at least some minimal testing. Ramble is simpler than the next one. <clears throat> what? The ramble in the next one is simpler. Oh, the ramble is simpler. So yeah, yes. Thank you. Yeah, RAML is a simpler, it's, it's supposed to be more human readable and they have a lot more tooling. Do you have a picture of that? Or <clears throat> I took it out uh, for the interest of time. Okay. But uh, MuleSoft, I think, is local. Um, and they have a lot of these companies, they try to provide an entire platform for your API. So you, your code lives on their platform. And then um, they've got doc tools that will take and grab the information and, and render it into cool displays. So it's like a whole suite for developers. <clears throat> but yeah, RAML. Um, and, and there are others, uh, mashery um, and, and some other kind of things. <clears throat> so here are some big questions to consider. And this is the final part of the presentation. Am I technical enough to excel in API documentation? And this is a, this is a question that I've heard quite a bit as a response to this topic. You know, is this the right fit for me? Uh, am I going to do well? Or am I going to be overwhelmed with all kinds of code that I can't figure out? It's going to be frustrating or am I going to thrive? Another question, is API documentation dry and boring? Uh, you're, not you're not working with visual things in front of you. Um, it's code and maybe, you know, at my current job, <clears throat> the main product that you get after implementing all this code is a 40 character hexadecimal string. <laughs> Whereas at Badgeville, at least you got, you know, how many rewards a user has and you could visualize them. It was a lot more fun, to be honest. Uh, but API documentation, ah, that sounds terrible. Um, each job has its own pros and cons. Uh, the, the, the product that you document um, can really make an impact on your sense of enjoyment as a technical writer. So is this something you're going to enjoy or, or not? Um, <clears throat> Last question, how do you get into this in the first place? A lot of times, jobs, they want to they wanna know that you, just like breaking into tech writing, right? You had to show a sample of technical writing, which you had to get by having a job in technical writing, which, you know, is that paradox. So how do you get into API documentation? 
where are your samples? I'm trying to get some. Um, so anyway, usually if you can <clears throat> demonstrate your technical depth, as I've heard it described, um, you know, and your writing ability, maybe enough. So uh, that's pretty much it. I want to now enter a brief period of Q&A. What questions do you have or feedback or comments? We have Andrew here who's got an immense amount of understanding of this space. So this is a perfect time to kind of uh, ask questions. <laughs> I guess uh, Lori's up here, so it must mean she's ready to end it. Her key is invisible, but it's powerful. I, I have a 30-second closer, closer just to say that um, I've got about a dozen podcasts on API documentation on my site and many articles, so check those out and blog about your experiences in API documentation. Um, we need a lot more tech writing bloggers and especially about this topic, so thanks. Sure. That was really great, and we appreciate all the resources that you um, 